text for it. The text for the sermon this morning is Hebrews 4, verse 12. We'll read that verse again. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we continue with the Word of God in Hebrews. The Word of God about the Word of God. We've seen with the first verses of the letter to the Hebrews how we received the Word of God. God spoke in the past by the prophets. In this final age, He has spoken through His Son. In Jesus Christ, the gospel of his work, God has told us everything we need to know for life and salvation. He's given us his word. And then in the first verses of Hebrews 2, we saw how the word of God is authoritative. If people were accountable to God for his words spoken through angels, how much more accountable are we to God for the words spoken by his Son? Our text for this morning, then, is again about the Word of God, and this time about the awesome power of that Word of God. The Bible is a book unlike any other book you have in your home or in a library. It's a powerful book. And we need to keep that in mind, congregation. This book comes from God. It's, it's a divine book. His voice speaking to us. To each and every one of us in every circumstance of our life. That makes it powerful, but it also makes that word of God something we have to pay careful attention to. Listening to it brings rest. The fulfillment of what's promised in it. Eternal salvation. But not heeding it not obeying the voice of God in it means not entering the rest. It means condemnation instead of salvation. And that's why the, letter, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 so often in those two chapters we read in that Psalm David refers to the people of Israel in the wilderness. And you know how they were freed from slavery in Egypt by the Lord God, how he promised them their own country, the land of Canaan, which he had already promised to Father Abraham. What a prospect for those former slaves to be able to rest in their own land. But you know what happened? They had to pass through the wilderness, and they didn't take God's word to them seriously. You remember how those Israelite spies checked out the land and when they got close to it, and how the the people wailed when they had reports that they'd never be able to take it for themselves, the people too numerous, too big, the cities too strong, and how they complained that they should have stayed in Egypt. They didn't take God's word seriously. They ended up hardening their hearts against the Lord God. And then the Lord became angry with his people, told them they would never enter his rest the land he promised them. And that whole generation didn't enter that rest 
the land of Canaan. But they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Imagine God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of wonderful rest, promised that he would give it to them. But they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. They did not hold fast to God's promises. They rebelled. They hardened their hearts. And more and more, as they wandered through the wilderness in all those years, did they harden their hearts and they, they perished in the desert, those people. Their children entered, but they did not. That's a warning to us, according to Hebrews. It says in chapters 4, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it, the word. They had God's promise. Promise of rest. We have also the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, rest in, in the promised land, the eternal rest. And so it says in verse 11, just before our text for this morning, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience, the disobedience to the word. In other words, let's be diligent to listen and obey the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful word, listening to it, living out of it, obeying its directives, striving to, to live by it will bring you into the eternal rest. But not heeding it, not taking it seriously, not living according to it, means you will not enter the promised rest. A word of warning and encouragement. We have to hear that today too, right? There are all kinds of things today which want to distract us from the word of God, listening to it and doing all to obey this word too busy with all kinds of things to listen to it, and then if things don't go as we like, so easy to complain about it, to doubt it, and so much pressure from the world around us to compromise living according to this word that we don't take it seriously anymore. We live in what's been called the meh times. Meh. Each to his own. What is this meh? Even for Christians, each to his own. I'll, I'll take from the word what I want, and the rest is up to... To me, and, and you, can, you can live your way and I'll live my way. That can rub off on us so we can even resent the word. It's an intrusion in our lives. But this book is powerful. This book brings life. However, it can also mean missing out on life if we don't take it to heart. And I preach to you the text with this theme, then the powerful word of God we pay attention to. First, its character, and secondly, its working. The character of the word of God. Congregation, why does this word of God, why should it be, we take this seriously? Why should we live out of it? Well, because our, our, as our text says, this word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. In other words, this is not just another book. It's not just a collection of ancient truths composed by men of old and compiled by them. What this word says, what this book says, cannot be taken indifferently or treated with apathy. 
but has to be listened to and reverently and sincerely taken to heart. And that's because this book is the word of the living and eternal God. It's his voice. The voice of God for all people in all times and all circumstances. Living word. The words of men pass away in time and are forgotten. Dead words. Times change, circumstances vary, but this word of God is living. The word used in the text means constantly alive. When you hold that Bible in your hands, you have a living book in your hand. It applies to all people everywhere at any time. It applies to you. Wherever you are, when you open it, when you hear it. And what it says is never, ever exhausted. It's never been studied completely that you can say, well, I, I know everything in it. It's been studied and proclaimed for thousands of years and still has so much to say to people today too, yet this 21st century. The Bible, the Word of God contained in it is living. And it, that also means it does something to the reader. It does something to you. And that brings us to the word powerful used to characterize the Bible in the text. The Greek word used here is energy, energetic. God's word has incredible energy. Think of creation. God spoke, said the word, and it came to be out of nothing. He commanded, it stood forth. That's what's in the universe today. The stars, the solar system, the earth, the grass, the trees, the animals, we ourselves, all came into existence out of nothing simply by the voice of God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When the living and almighty God speaks, things happen. When he speaks in his word, things happen. It's a power and energy of God's word, his voice in the Bible, that, that word, the spirit working through that word, the spirit of God working through this word can transform haters into lovers of God and of their neighbors. Or it can also bring people to harden their hearts against God as happened with all those Israelites who perished in the wilderness, even though they heard the voice of God speaking to them from Mount Sinai. This is a word full of energy, and it accomplishes what God wills it to. You can think here of what the Lord God says in Isaiah 55, verse 10, and he compares there his, his word to rain which waters the earth, and then it goes back, evaporates, goes back to heaven again, but in the meantime, it does, does its work here on earth. He says there in Isaiah 55, verse 10, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, empty, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper the thing for which I sent it. And what that means, congregation, is that the word of God always does something. It works energetically all the time. It does what God wants it to. It's living and active. It acts for God here on earth. 
And see, that's why our text adds yet that that word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, a two-edged sword congregation was one of the most potent weapons in Bible times. It's been compared to the invention of the, the nuclear bomb in those days. Made of the highest quality steel, the blade honed to razor sharp cutting edge on both sides. And it, it meant that it cut both ways when it was swung or when it was thrust into someone. A sword like that had no blunt side, but always had effect when it came into contact with someone. And that made it a highly desired weapon. So the Word of God is sometimes called a two-edged sword elsewhere in the Bible, too. Think of how the Lord Jesus Christ portrayed in Revelation 1, walking among the seven lampstands, having seven stars in his right hand, and a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That the Word of God is like a sword with two sharp edges, congregation, means that it cuts to one side or the other. And that's to say, in a saving or judging manner. Whenever this word is opened, it works to repentance and salvation or to hardening and condemnation. It renews hearts to love God or it hardens hearts against Him. After all, it comes with promises and warnings. And that means that no one who comes into contact with the word can say, oh, this doesn't do anything for me. No, it either cuts you so that you come to repentance and growing love for the Lord, or it cuts you so that you harden yourself against the Lord and reject his will. And there are good examples of that two-sided effect of the word of God in the book of Acts, for instance. When Peter proclaimed Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies to the Jews from all over in Jerusalem at Pentecost, it says in Acts 2, verse 37, that when those people heard that sermon of, of Peter, they were cut to the heart, and they asked the apostles, what should we do? Cut to the heart. They were brought to repentance by the word. However, the opposite happened when Stephen the martyr stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin and explained from the Old Testament how the Israelites had a history of resisting the Spirit, and he warned them. And then it says in Acts 7, verse 54, that when those leaders of the people heard Stephen's words from the Word, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed their teeth at him. And then they dragged him outside and stoned him to death. So in both cases, the word of God cut people to the heart. But in the one instance, to regeneration and repentance, to the other, to the hardening of hearts and rejection. And think of what the Lord Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John. On the one hand, he says, John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And on the other hand, the Lord Jesus says, John 12, 48, He who rejects me does not receive my word, has that which judges him. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. 
See, that's what the text says about the character of God's Word. His voice on paper, the Bible, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, cuts two ways. And that's something we have to remember when we open this book or have it open for us. This book is going to do something to you. This book is always going to do something to you. God's Word is going to affect you. And it's going to have eternal effect on you. It can regenerate you and give you growth in Christ so you enter His rest, if you listen to His voice in it. Or you can harden yourself against God's voice so that you end up in eternal condemnation if you don't heed it. So, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the call today, open this word and listen to it, realizing it's going to do something to you. It is working something for you. Open it in your homes. Don't, don't let a single day go by without opening that book, this Bible, this word of God. Teach it to your children. Take the time, parents. Have it taught to your children. Also by the Christian school, which begins this week. Be busy with this word of God. God speaks to you in this word. Speaks to your life circumstances in it. Whatever those circumstances in your life may be. And his spirit doesn't just inform you in it, but it wants to transform you by it so that you do not depart from the living God, but continue steadfastly toward the eternal rest He has promised you. But you need this book. You need this word, this sword. And that, how does that word work? How does it work? And that's the second point of the sermon, the working of that powerful word. That powerful two-edged sword of the word we're told in the second half of our text. It pierces, pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The emphasis here is on how sharply and deeply that sword of the word penetrates when we have to do with it when we open it and listen to it. The soul is our spiritual life. And the, the spirit here refers to our physical life. They're so closely related that it would be, humanly speaking, impossible to divide those two, those two lives of ours. And the same with joints and marrow. Joints refused, refers to the physical bone structure. And marrow in ancient times re represented the life in our bones. Again, so closely related that it's impossible for us to think in terms of slicing the, those two apart, of physical life and our inner life. But God's word is so sharp, it cuts deeply and nothing can stop it. It slices right through your whole existence, your whole being, 
and it pierces right to your heart, which is the fountain of your whole being, the source of all your personal and private thoughts and intentions. And nothing can stop that sword of the word from slicing into us that deeply when, when we hear it, we read it. We can try to shield ourselves against that sharp two-edged sword of the word. Like we sometimes try to shield ourselves from other people, build walls around ourselves to keep our inner being out of their reach. Maybe because we've been hurt in the past or so. We can... Try to, we, we can't, we can't set up a, a shield against the sword of the word while we sit and listen to it and it's going to pierce us. We can't think we're going to keep it from our deepest being. You can try to build up an indifference to it, but it goes deep. You can try to put up a false front of enthusiasm or of piety even, but the sword of the word will pierce through it all so it'll find what's really inside you. And what does the word do when it has cut into your deepest being? Well, congregation, our text says that that word discerns thoughts and intents of the heart. Discerns. The Greek word used there is crit critique, criticize, judge. The word pierces deeply in order to judge or criticize the deepest thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It, in fact, exposes what is deep, deep inside us, what motivates us, what moves us to think and act the way we do. It uncovers that to God, but also to ourselves. To ourselves. We need that critiquing, don't we? That judging of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Because earlier on in chapter 3, verse 13, in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's an interesting expression, the deceitfulness of sin. Sin can so easily first deceive us and then harden our hearts so that we don't see it anymore and that we fail in the end to enter God's rest. That's something we need to fear. We end up believing the lies of sin instead of the promises of God. You know, sin whispers through des the desires of our flesh and the rationalizations of our mind. It whispers, you don't, you're not going to get ahead in business unless you resort to dishonesty in that, dealing you're gonna, that deal you're going to make. It says your life is going to be wasted in your relationship if you don't work towards a divorce here. It says you won't be noticed and liked if you don't dress provocatively. It says that only a fool would go on looking weak instead of getting some kind of revenge on the person who hurt you. It says you're going to lose that one person who cares about you if you don't compromise your sexual purity. It whispers that you're not going to get anywhere in school unless you cheat on your exam. You know that every one of those statements is a lie. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And then it can lodge itself so deeply inside us that 
and, and rationalize it in our hearts that we fool ourselves into thinking that it's okay to do this in our case because of this or this and this reason. And we convince ourselves. It lodges, it can lodge so deeply in our hearts, sin, that instead of believing the promises of God, we trust in the promises of sin. I'll make you happy. And then in time we end up becoming unbelieving and disobedient like the Israelites in the wilderness were. They could not enter into God's rest because of unbelief. So what's needed? Something powerful and sharp enough to slice through all that deception and expose our thoughts and intentions in our hearts to the truth. And that's what this Word of God does, how it works. The good news of God's gracious love in Christ and the warnings of His judgment are sharp and living and powerful to be able to penetrate to the bottoms of our hearts and show that the lies of sin are indeed terrible lies. Dishonesty is not going to improve your business. Throwing away sexual purity will not bring blessing to your relationship. Cheating won't be a blessing to your education. Taking revenge on someone isn't going to make you feel better. The Word of God, as it were, throws open the curtains and shines the bright noonday sun on the black roaches of sin, which masquerade as gratifying pleasures in our hearts. Of course, if we want to continue in sin and let it deceive us, then that sword of the Word is going to cut the opposite way. When it's opened, we'll resent its cutting so deeply. We don't like the pain. We resist it. And then we're not going to like opening it in our homes so much. We'll, without thinking about it, avoid it. Leave it shut at home. Not bother with devotions. We'll find all kinds of good-sounding excuses not to attend Bible study. And we'll especially also find all kinds of legitimate-sounding reasons to skip a worship service on a regular basis. And we'll be deceived into rationalizing our sins and finding good-sounding reasons why we need to continue in them. And that, sadly, over time, hardens our hearts in unbelief. Through the deceitfulness of sin, our hearts will be hardened. But that's a scenario the letter to the Hebrews wants to warn us against. Instead, it shows us we desperately need this word more than we know. We need to hear the voice of God in it. Listen to it. The thing is, congregation, God has given us his word to protect us from the deep, deep deceptions of sin that are going to try to harden our hearts and lure us away from Christ and lead us to destruction. So there's a huge need for us to listen reverently, seriously, regularly, 
devotedly to that word of God. Open it every single day. Listen to that word expounded every Sunday again. Not miss a single worship service on Sunday if at all possible. Sin has so much opportunity to come towards us and try to deceive us. A day with the word and a few minutes with the word every day. Congregation, do you see how we need that? Need the word to cut into us and expose those sinful thoughts and intentions of our hearts so that we realize we have to seek the grace of our Savior, plead for his spirit to help us fight against sin in our lives. Timely text for today, right? As summer winds down and church life, we could say, is winding up again for the busy season. We need that word of God at home. We need it in church. Students need it. And think about that as Bible study season begins again. Don't be deceived into thinking you don't have the time. Make it a serious priority. Catechism classes too. We need the sword of that word to slice deeply into us if we're going to enter God's rest. Amen.